Hello, I am Jeremy Kingsbury. This is Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, the show where you come along with me as I explore the likely repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Let's listen to some tunes. Hello, so... On today's episode, we're doing a couple things. Um, kind of the, the bulk of what we're going to wind up doing is talking about and uh, listening to some tunes of Canon James Goodman, uh, who collected music uh, mostly in kind of southwestern Ireland uh, in kind of the mid 19th century up until kind of the late mid. So 1840s maybe is when he started collecting. Uh, and was certainly going strong in the 1870s. So, uh, got a big collection of tunes. We're going to listen to several tunes from there. Um, the impetus for this episode was, uh, was asked by the Chippewa Valley Museum to uh, give a talk and a presentation for their kind of February folk festival about Ellen piping. And I asked for some information about Irish immigration to the Chippewa Valley, uh, which is kind of western, northwestern Wisconsin. And the resources at the Chippewa Valley Museum are just awesome, uh, which I know because I interned there and just had a great, great year of grad school uh, working as a curator and an exhibit designer um, at Chippewa Valley Museum. But anyway, I emailed Carrie Ronander, the director and curator, I think she's still the curator, uh, of the museum, and kind of said, I'd love to, I'm happy to do this, but uh, do you have any details about Irish immigration that I might be able to make a presentation more relevant? And she gave me the details of kind of when and where the Irish immigrants to the Chippewa Valley came from. And it seems like the peak is around 1860 uh, for Irish immigration into Eau Claire proper anyway, and it seems that most of the Irish immigrants in the Chippewa Valley come from either southwestern Ireland, mostly uh, in County Cork, um, but some just around Limerick seems to be pretty important too, uh, or a lot of immigrants from Northern Ireland too. So uh, that's sort of how these tunes are shaping up, is looking at a bunch of tunes from um, from kind of Southwestern Ireland, Cork specifically when I could, and then some kind of Northern Irish tunes that you might hear up there, uh, and some Scotch-Irish stuff. So uh, that's sort of what this, this episode's going to be. Uh, one of the things that was really exciting about what Carrie said was... Uh, kind of gives me an excuse to talk about Canon Goodman, Canon James Goodman, um, kind of leader in the Church of Ireland and uh, respected by Catholics and Protestants alike, which is pretty great according to his uh, obituary anyway. Um, but he collected just a massive amount of tunes, uh, likely starting uh, in the kind of early years of the famine and continuing on for, for decades collecting tunes. We're, we're left with this just huge collection. Uh, and if you're talking about Canon James Goodman, who himself was a piper, um, there's a couple pretty prominent Ellen Pipers that come to name, come to, to thought today, and um, we're going to play, we're going to have two of them on. <laughs> two of them are going to be on the podcast. So uh, I was really excited when I realized that I was going to be talking about Canon James Goodman. I know that uh, Mick O'Brien's next Goodman album has just recently released and so I emailed Mick and asked him if I could play some tracks from uh, their his new album uh, where he plays with Emer Mayock who is also just a phenomenal Ilan Piper and flute player on the album uh, and his daughter uh, Aoife Nabrian who plays 
uh, just outstanding fiddle and I think concertina too. I could be wrong about that, but um, a couple other instruments on the album. Anyway, it's all just they're all just great. Yeah, concertina, fiddle, and viola. Um, so we're gonna have three tracks from that because uh, Mick said to play a few, and I'm gonna say that that's three. Um, and strongly encourage you to go check that out on Bandcamp. You can get it right now after hearing the tracks on our episode today i am sure you will want to go hear more uh so the tracks from them that we're going to hear we're going to finish out with that um so from mick emer and Efo, we're going to hear my dark haired darling uh patrick the piper and quadrille and then humors of glenn um just some i mean the whole album is really good <laughs> obviously but uh these are the tracks that like I've been listening to it fairly nonstop since I got it, uh, especially once I knew that I was going to have it on the podcast. And these three tracks are the ones that um, just made me stop and kind of took me out of like, oh, this is background music that I'm really enjoying to like, whoa, what is going on here? Um, and then what? So they, they basically took me out of a trance and put me back into one. So they're great tracks. Um and there's other tracks like that too, but I'm only going to play three, so you have to buy the album. Uh, other tunes, we're going to start with uh, The New Way to Morpeth uh, from William Dixon. Turns out it played a tune that William Dixon had in his book last week and didn't play it. So obviously we got to play William Dixon tune. So I have New Way to Morpeth. Then from Walker Jackson, we're going to have Jackson's Morning Brush, which is a repeat for the podcast here, but um, new for folks from Triple Valley Museum. Uh, and then from Martin Freeman's Collecting, we're going to have One Tree Vale, which is essentially a little bit light more light-hearted version of uh, like raglan road or dawning of the day so i'm going to play canon james goodman's setting for the bright dawn of day uh, i'm also going to play um canon or goodman's setting for jackson's snack which i think has been on the podcast before i'm not 100 sure um but i really like it uh, and then since we're doing kind of bright dawn of the day i'm going to play james aired uh his the dawning of the day which aired says is irish in his collection but i think it's a different tune um, but it's it's good. I'm going to play that on my new Generation B-flat whistle that I'm pretty pleased with. So yeah, those are the tunes that we are going to be listening to. Um, I'm... It's been... I was hoping... I generally you know, like to have these episodes out a little bit sooner than this one's going to be published, but it has been a very long day of talking to a lot of people. Um, so we should get started with the kind of go on to the post section and I'll talk to you about some of the cool things, cool conversations I've had with listeners uh, on the podcast this week. I suppose the first thing to talk about is the most recent conversation I've had. Um, earlier, I had a nice long chat with Jeff Jones about those um, tricky embellishments that threw me for a bit of a loop uh, last week. And uh, kind of, I'm looking forward to having a longer chat with Jeff on, um, on mic. Uh, I'm not sure if I talked about Jeff before. He was really helpful when I was getting ready for the country dance presentation I did uh, back in... Was that November? I guess it was November. 
Um, anyway, I was talking with Jeff about uh, several things, um, but he had some really good insights into the way that embellishments were written in these earlier collections. And uh, if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm almost certainly not, there's a certain aspect that is like stylistic uh, in terms of how the notes were represented to kind of maintain uh, like a trinity or triple timing of how it's written. Uh, but also just talking with Jeff was a good reminder to... Uh, and, I, and I do this sometimes, but I'm often playing too many tunes too quickly to really give them the time they deserve, but just that it really is useful. Uh, for those of you that are listening to this podcast to hear tunes and play them, just be sure to use those links that I include and look at those notes yourself, because oftentimes the shortcuts that I take uh, will kind of destroy some real musical possibilities. So. Uh, if you can, just make sure to go look in that stuff and parse it out for yourself. Um, but the one thing that was the other nice thing that was good about talking with Jeff was that kind of confirmed that Kick the Rogues Out is two grips, even though they're not written as two grips. Um, but it's kind of two grips going into that. And I think, I feel like knowing that, I'm a little bit more comforted and uh, looking forward to revisiting that tune uh, in a future yeah, hoping to have Jeff on the podcast to talk about uh, the Simon Fraser Kilmore, uh, which is a kind of way of playing Peabrook that has survived and thrived in Australia. Um, but yeah, it's hopefully, hopefully a couple months down the road we'll have a chat about that. So something to look forward to. Uh, the other mystery, I guess, from last week, uh, the tune uh, before going into playing, um, was it... New Bigging? I think it was New Bigging. Yeah, there's a mystery tune going into New Bigging from David Young or from that German manuscript. The... Um, so heard from three people. Uh, the name of that tune as uh, Cutting Bracken. Uh, also uh, the name in Gaelic for Bunarenach um, or Falmeskith. Sure, I'm pronouncing that wrong. I uh, found a bunch of cool versions of that tune on the Kist of Riches site, and so I've got those in the links. I encourage you to go look at that. Um, the tune itself is uh, about work. It's a work song, kind of sounds like a work song, um, but it's the neat thing about it, it's a fairy song, so it's kind of recounting the fact that somebody's working alone and a fairy helps them in some versions of the song. Uh, one version of the song, uh, which I've kind of listed in the liner notes there, is a fairy complaining about how much they help somebody and then uh, to, to do a bunch of work, and then the brothers of the woman that the fairy is helping come and steal the woman away, so uh, the fairy is left to cut Bracken alone. Uh, but cool tune, and then the, the last person that sent it to me, so a uh, big thanks to uh, Arnaud, Arnaud Teach, I think either in Haiti or France, and Doodlesack and Deegan, which is, I actually don't know Doodlesack and Deegan's name, that's just his uh, Facebook profile for uh, kind of Escoze, Jacobite Piper, uh, interpreter, I think from Germany, uh, who I'm also, I also kind of hope, looks like he's got an album coming out in the not too distant future. I hope we can have him on the podcast and have a chat about that stuff. Um, so they came through with some really good links for the tunes. Uh, and then the other person that came through was Isaac Walters. And it turns out that's where I learned the tune. Um, Dudasak and Deegan posted 
uh, that, you know, the, the song is on a Silly Wizard album, which I probably heard, well, I certainly heard, kind of obsessively lift, uh, listened to everything that Silly Wizard did for a decade or so. Um, but I learned the tune doing a gig with uh, a buddy of mine, Isaac Walters, who uh, some people are probably familiar with. He posts a lot of um, kind of cool stuff on social media of doing uh, 18th and 19th century Scottish tartan and material cultural things. Um, and it's kind of fitting that uh, he also had the name of the tune because he and I are going to have a chat on the podcast next week uh, kind of about reenacting and the material culture of pipers and things. And it's also fitting because uh, Isaac, I think, also did an internship at the Chippewa Valley Museum, who this episode is about. Uh, but Ike also sent me a link to this quite cool version of uh, Cutting Bracken from Alan Stavell from the 1970s, so uh, I'm going to have just a little bit of a clip of that in the background um, uh, right now, I suppose. I won't play it for too long, but again, that'll be a, a link in the show notes. You can check it out. Here's just a little taste. Yeah, be sure to uh, look in the links. You can watch that whole live performance from 1972. Uh, pretty rad stuff. Um, so the other cool bit of kind of intel I got, I suppose, um, after posting around, I, I still haven't heard any Irish names for these German castle tunes that I've played so far. So uh, yeah, go go check that out if you know. Um, but what we're going to do next, uh, some people kind of clued in on the new Bingen stuff. Uh, there's a new Bingen in Northumbria too. Uh, and actually there's a new Bingen tune in Dixon. So hey for new Bingen. So uh, it's a really awesome tune. I was going to play it this week, but uh, I think I'm going to play it next week. Might have already said that. I'm recording this part a day later. Uh, stayed up until 5 a.m. worrying about barbecue. Uh, and was a little exhausted when I first recorded the podcast. So uh, anyway, so we're going to play a different tune from uh, Dixon. Uh, one of the things I heard uh, from posting around was that the New Way to Morpeth is William Dixon's setting for that same tune of Athel Bray's. So I think we will play that next. Um, yeah, thanks again to everybody that wrote in. And uh, here is me playing William Dixon's New Way to Morpath, which is very similar, if not the same tune. Uh, well, yeah, very similar to the melody we played last week out of Drummond Castle.
So without too much ado, let's get started with that Chippewa Valley Museum discussion of immigration into the Chippewa Valley. Um, I was just super pumped. Uh, kind of read some things that uh, Carrie was able to send me about the history of Irish Americans in the Chippewa Valley and Irish immigration as we go along. But one of the just quick things she did is uh, some kind of Irish notables who lived in the area was William Atkinson, who became an editor for the Eau Claire Leader. He was born in Queens County, Ireland in 1837, uh, but wound up going to high school in Limerick. Um, and then Eugene Fleming was born in Limerick and eventually immigrated to the Chippewa Valley and wound up setting up Fleming's jewelry in Eau Claire. <clears throat> and Limerick uh, is the home of one of my most favorite uh, Irish pipers in history, uh, Walker Jackson. We've played quite a few Walker Jackson tunes here on the podcast. And uh, yeah, gonna just kind of play, revisit a couple more, talk about Walker Jackson as uh, from Limerick, from a place where a lot of uh, immigrants to the Chippewa Valley came from. Uh, Walker Jackson was a piper in the 18th century and published his own selection of tunes in 1774. Uh, but what I like about him is his tunes are from all over the place, or not from all over the place, they show up all over the place in collections of English and Scottish music as well as Irish, uh, especially this first one, Jackson's Morning Brush is easily his most famous tune. So we'll start with Jackson's Morning Brush. Uh, Jackson's an interesting character too. He was a Protestant landowner, uh, pretty you know wealthy landowner, <coughs> why he's called a gentleman piper, uh, but was involved in uh, Irish organizations that would have been filled with Catholics as well. But we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Uh, meanwhile, here is Jackson's Morning Brush. Like I say, you can see Jackson's Morning Brush in English country dance books, uh, Scottish country dance books. Uh, but this one comes from Jackson himself, a collection he published in 1774. Thank you. 
I've done a bit of a crash course to myself this week of trying to understand Irish colonization and the famine and immigration uh, a little bit better than I did before. So I'm still fairly new to this material, but one of my takeaways with Walker Jackson, I think I, I like him more now, um, just the fact that he's a Protestant landowner throughout the, the story of the famine and colonization, landlords and landowners are predominantly Protestant um, and Scotch-Irish or English, and uh, they wind up contributing to or doing a fair amount of oppression uh, and violence towards uh, kind of Catholic Irish inhabitants. And the neat thing about Walker Jackson, possibly, that he's involved in these spaces that are both Catholic and Protestant and Irish language-centered and Irish music-centered, this shows this moment towards the end of the 18th century where there was that unity of Protestants and Catholics working together, Protestants wanting to bring about Catholic emancipation too. Part of English colonization was making Catholics like lower status in the, the legal codes. Uh, and this is relevant to talking about Chippewa Valley immigrants as well. William Atkinson, that editor of the Eau Claire Leader, his family first came to Ireland with Oliver Cromwell, with that, that early wave of colonization um, in, in Ireland. When I think Cromwell is when all of the anti-Catholic laws really first get their, their footing in Ireland. Uh, and Walker Jackson, at the end of the 18th century, is part of this, I think he might have been part of this movement of kind of working together um, to undo that. And it all kind of comes to a head in the 1798 rebellion. And when the 1798 rebellion fails, uh, and certainly after the union of Ireland and the United Kingdom, uh, that that sense of, um, yeah, Protestants and Catholics working together in Ireland starts to erode rather quickly. And uh, But this all kind of leads towards famine and immigration. Walker Jackson of Limerick is one of two pipers named Jackson that wrote tunes, and the result there is that lots and lots of tunes are attributed to Jackson, even if uh, he wasn't particularly the one that that wrote them. Uh, and one of the best examples of that maybe is the kind of the person who's going to contribute the most tunes to this episode. Uh, and that's James Goodman, or Canon Goodman, as he's often known, who is a, an Irish preacher, wound up a leader in the Church of Ireland, um, but made this massive collection of tunes. Uh, Goodman himself was a native of County Kerry, but wound up kind of serving several um, several communities around kind of Western Ireland, spent a lot of time in Skibbereen and County Cork, and is kind of well-remembered there. Um, but Goodman was collecting all kinds of tunes. Goodman went to school, kind of had a scholarship to go to school in 1847, so the, the worst year, arguably, of the famine, and uh, wound up, it seems like he started collecting music in that time in the 1840s and it makes sense uh somebody that already had a love for uh, irish music and irish pipes to see just how much death and loss was happening uh around him um it seemed like it was a concern there's a great little quote from goodman in 1861 which is the first date when the big manuscripts that survive today the the six volumes the volume one is dated to 1861 even if goodman had been collecting tunes before then obviously 
Um, but in this quote hosted on uh, Irish Traditional Music Archives, says the labor, this is from James Goodman, says the labor of writing has been rendered easy by my desire to preserve the music of my native province, which is fast becoming extinct. And should this work come into the hands of anyone desirous of becoming proficient on the Irish pipes, he'll have without any trouble a supply of suitable music, which it cost me some years to collect and set down in this form. And they really are lovely um, manuscripts for, for looking at. But anyway, let's look at this tune. So if you go to uh, the Irish Traditional Musical Archive, I've got links to this. You can actually look at the original uh, manuscript of James Goodman. I'll just say briefly that it doesn't work for me when I was using Mozilla Firefox as a browser, but switching over to Google Chrome, you can look at the original. Uh, otherwise, ITMA has also kind of uploaded an ABC notation version of it. But the fourth volume of Goodman's manuscript... Uh, begins with a section called Jackson's Airs, and then there are several tunes that are all attributed to Jackson. Uh, like I said, almost certain that some of these, you know, weren't written by Jackson, but that is how they are uh, attributed in Goodman. And one of my favorite tunes that I haven't seen anywhere except in uh, Goodman's manuscript is Snack in this Jackson section. Uh, and so I'm going to play it here. So I, I always call this Jackson Snack, but it just says Snack. Uh, yeah, the first 18, first 18 tunes in volume four are attributed to Jackson. Uh, anyway, so here is Jackson's snack on Ellen Pipes. Uh, it is just a massive jig. And then we'll talk a little bit more about another collection that I was happy to come across from uh, County Court.
Well, errors aside, uh, I love that tune. I'm recycling older recordings, so I'm not sure if I've actually had Jackson Snack on the podcast or not yet. Um, but yeah, the, the weather has just been so cold and so dry here in Iowa that I am very angry every time I strap on my Ellen pipes. Uh, it is finally broken, so I should I should give it another crack. Maybe they're sounding great now, and I'll be kicking myself, but... Uh, Running quite low on time. Uh, anyway, so the first collection of tunes I went looking for, and I asked Carrie about Chippewa Valley immigration. She mentioned that the one area that's still pretty Irish in Chippewa County uh, is from Lafayette Township, and that mostly those families are all descended from folks from the Mizzen Peninsula and County Cork. So uh, that was where I first cut, like, oh, I should look for County Cork. And I was kind of excited about County Cork in general. Um, slowly working my way through reading all the the back issues of Api Bear, the Napeeber Illin publication. And in the first issue, they talk about the County Cork Illin Pipers Club, which predates the, you know, Napeeber Illin uh, by quite a lot. Um, and County Cork has some interesting history in general with, with music collection and Illin piping. Francis O'Neill, who's one of the big names in uh, music collection who emigrated from County Cork and wound up writing the big collection of Irish music tunes uh, while he was a cop in Chicago. Uh, but O'Neill went back and hung out with the County Cork Gillen Pipers Club and um, did some tune collecting there, I think, and just appreciating, um, you know, camaraderie with other pipers uh O'Mealy lived there for some time too so there's like lots of good pipe makers in the area um so anyway i was looking for other county cork stuff because I, I knew that there's a long history of that um but my first first go-to thing was to to search on itma uh the irish traditional music archive and they link to a couple of these tunes or two kind of publications of irish songs collected in ballyvorney county cork and around 1913 and 1914 from this guy, Alexander Martin Freeman. Uh, and Freeman was traveling around in um, Cork trying to get these tunes down uh, from Irish speakers, and it's, they're pretty great. There's some interesting connections that uh, in the, the publication that you can look at, again, linked in the notes, but in the publication, Freeman has some interesting commentary on links between these tunes that he's hearing and these songs, and also some kind of funny complaining about the strength of certain people's Irish and <laughs> not being pleased with it. Uh, but for whatever reason, the first tune that kind of jumped out at me was uh, the, the 40th tune in this particular publication uh, called One Tree Vale. Um, and looking through it, it's, it's kind of a faster, marchy tune, and uh, it sounded familiar to me, but I didn't know why, and it turns out it's basically Raglan Road. Um, but this is a little bit different version of it. I'm so used to hearing Raglan Road kind of sung slow that seeing the the older Irish version of it where it's sung quite fast is interesting. And this is different from like Dawning of the Day. Um, and Freeman's version is different too from Fonagall and Lay, which is kind of how it is sung still today. Uh, and we're going to play uh, Goodman's version of Fonagall and Lay after Freeman's here. Uh, so anyway, here is Martin Freeman's setting for One Tree Vale.
that's what I was saying. Uh, it was sort of interesting looking at Ken and Goodman's collection. And the first tune uh, in his manuscripts is Fonagall and Lay. Uh, so the same one. So if you go all the way back to volume one, it is right there. That's sort of... So I, I'm going to re-record this. So when I first... Like I said, I, I had a hard time accessing the original uh, version of the manuscript. And so the setting I was looking at was the ABC notation that Itma made. And I'm, I'm very thankful that those ABC notations existed, but it is different. <laughs> so looking at the original setting in Goodman, like there are all this, there's all these notes that don't come across. Um, the way Itma has it transcribed is as a 2-2, two -two, um, and that's fine, I suppose, but it, there's like, there's no notes on it. Anyway, I saw this music as a 2-2, two -two, and just my brain was like, oh yeah, Raglan Road, and I played it slow. And so I played it quite slow on Island Pipes, and now looking back at it, that I figured out if I just use Google Chrome, I can actually look at the original copy. It's in cut time, and there's a little note right above it that says cheerfully. And so now I'm wondering, uh, I, I assume that this tune is played quite a bit quicker than how I did it on Island Pipes. So uh, I think I'm going to play it, I know I'm going to play it here on Whistle, again instead of kind of paste in this this slow alien pipe setting that i have that is much more kind of that mournful and now I'm, I'm wondering about the pace of it so in freeman's version of one tree veil he actually says that it should be uh, at 126 beats per minute um and listening to quite a few people sing uh Fonagall and lay in irish it seems like that's sort of where they sit it at but maybe a little bit slower um, but now seeing it in cut time and saying cheerfully, I'm wondering if this should just be played straight up as a reel. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, I love I love the resources that are available on ABC uh, notation. It's such a joy to be able to like see these tunes in any way, especially when they're really hard to get. But uh, yeah, this experience has really confirmed to me that being able to look at the uh, a trans like the original a photo of the original is a little bit better especially in this case and um yeah this really makes me want to spend more time with goodman's collection because i'm you know i'm not sure i i have the conventions of how he writes tunes i i don't know exactly how to in interpret this but i do love that he actually has these little notations like this first page the first one follow lay cheerfully it says and the next one uh, is in irish as well and i have no idea how to say it but it says with expression tune after that slow just these little uh adjectives to like give you an indication yeah slow dante lively uh, I mean, they're not standardized, I guess. I don't know. Lively versus cheerfully. Uh, I guess that that probably cheerfully is maybe a march and not a reel uh, rather than lively. But um, what is the lively tune? I should look at that. Isn't this great? This live action Jeremy figuring a thing out. So that lively tune is a 6-8. Hmm. The Adante tune is a 3-4. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting, man. Uh, anyway, so here's Fonagall and Lay as Canon Goodman recorded it.
it's a good tune. Um, looking through the first page of the manuscript uh, of you know of, of volume one of the manuscript, uh, I forgot. I've, I've my brain, my brain, y'all, I'm going too fast, learning too many things, and they're falling out. And I remember that the solution to my problems of not knowing Irish geography were solved earlier by realizing that Munster is where all these collections are from. So rather than having to say southwestern Ireland, I can just say Munster, which is. Uh, the southwestern province in Ireland. So apologies for my continuing persistent ignorance here. Um, but that is indeed what the Goodman Collection is often referred to as the collection of good uh, Munster Pipers. And uh, even the first page of his manuscript, he says that the, most of the playing comes from Pipers in Munster. Um, anyway, so let us move on. I, I, so this this tune, you know, Raglan Road or the Bright Dawn of Day is often known today as the Dawning of the Day. Uh, and so I'm going to play the Dawning of the Day from James Aird's collection. Uh, James Aird is a collection we play a lot on the podcast here. Uh, it's kind of a collection of tunes stretching from 1770s up until kind of 1800 or so, I think is when the last volume of it is published. Um, this version is interesting. Often Air will mention where the tune comes from. So he says here, this is the dawning of the day, that it's Irish. Uh, and rather than saying lively or cheerfully, it says slow. So we're going to play it again on that B-flat generation whistle. But here is James Aird's setting for the Irish tune, the dawning of the day. Yeah, interesting tune there. I don't think it is either. <laughs> I don't think it's Dawning of the Day or Raglan Road or um, any of those tunes. I think it's a whole different thing um, from James Aird there. So I think I want to kind of wrap up with my aspect of, of this discussion of immigration to the Chippewa Valley. It's been a really eye-opening week for me to study this stuff and try to get more familiar with it. I'll have links to uh, Finn Dwyer's podcast, which just goes into far more detail than I can or should uh, in this episode, but it's been really helpful to kind of learn this material for me. You know, professionally, I study indigenous history and gender and sexuality history of um, the Americas here, 
and it's you know you you wind up encountering a lot of pretty icky colonization history there too and mostly what i study is kind of the period of english colonization and early united states but all that stuff is, is fairly um, familiar to how the english were colonizing ireland uh, several books will talk about how England kind of cuts its teeth with colonization in Ireland first, figures out what to do there before going to the rest of the world. And I can really see some similarities between kind of the systems being put in place that orchestrate or kind of create the perfect storm of conditions for the famine to occur. It was interesting to get upset about a thing again. I think I've become so numb to reading about atrocities um, carried out in the Americas that uh, it just doesn't phase me the same way it used to. And reading about it in Ireland, I got angry all over again, and especially angry, you know, the way that we talk about Irish history, I mean, we don't, <laughs> we just don't talk about Irish history in the United States. Um, the way I, I see it discussed is always some kind of nonsense meme about Irish slavery in the United States as some response to Black Lives Matter. Like, oh, does it though? Because Irish slavery makes all of this not matter. Um, but like Irish slavery wasn't a thing in the United States. It's all just like, this weird straw man argument that is um, useless. Whereas I think if we had a better understanding of how the famine occurred, it would be a more helpful and productive discussion of understanding how colonization uh, is detrimental and bad and uh, I got to do it like this the way this plays out in all of these different colonies is you know the systems are set up in place to uh, really hamper the success of the indigenous population limit their possibilities limit their land access limit their ability to feed themselves and then after generations of doing that show up and say, well, these people are just inept, you know, they're clearly genetically predisposed to failure, so it would be unethical of us to help them. Like, Malthus himself is involved in the discussions, uh, at least in, in educating the people that decide to, that, it, that it's important to let the Irish die um, rather than help them. It's just horrific. Horrific stuff. Um, important to, to learn, important to know, and important to get right. So do check out those links. Findwire goes into far more detail than I could or should in this podcast to discuss uh, the famine and colonization, how that all plays out. So check that stuff out. And apologies to any Irish listeners or just folks that are more familiar with this stuff than I am to have to hear somebody uh, experiencing it kind of for the first time. Uh, but I do think it's important and seems like a thing that doesn't get talked about much in any sort of detail here in the United States. I do think understanding uh, famine and colonization is particularly helpful for understanding the Goodman manuscripts. Um, we read that letter earlier about how he thought his music was going extinct, and um, just, yeah, the county that he was from, County Kerry, from 1841 to 1861, like, halved in population between death and emigration it just must have felt like everything was going to change and going away and i think goodman's collecting reflects this fear that like if another famine happened if something else happened like that then there would be no collection left you know there's there's no way the music would survive another having anyway this is my subtle segue into listening to some more canon goodman tunes but this time played uh, not poorly by me on various instruments, but by some of the best Irish musicians around. Um, like I said, Mick O'Brien and uh, Emer and Aoife 
have two albums now of Goodman tunes and the second one just came out and so when I knew I was going to be playing some Goodman stuff I reached out to Mick and asked if I could play some tracks and he graciously uh, said that he would be he would love that and play I should play a few tunes and sent me some promotional materials so just huge thanks to Mick O'Brien and Emer and Aoife for this amazing music um, really can't can't recommend it enough we're going to play just three tracks these are kind of three of my favorites for the moment, but there are so many good, so many good tracks on here. Uh, we're going to start with My Dark Haired Darling, a bit of a slow air. Um, this tune really stood out to me. Their performance of it is amazing. Mick comes in just with his drones, and then Emer just destroys the melody on flute. Like, it's so good, so moving, just such a beautiful performance. And then Aoife kind of comes in and, and teases along on fiddle. Um, it's just a just really, really lovely stuff. There's a couple times on the album that uh, Mick will bring in drones to kind of create a background for Emer's flute playing, and it's really, really effectively done. Uh, so anyway, here is my dark-haired darling.
of listening back and realizing I have a type um, for like what we're playing from the album. Uh, this next tune is called Patrick the Piper into Quadril, or Quadrille. But uh, it's sort of funny to me. The tune is called Patrick the Piper. You know, both Mick and Emer are just amazing Ellen Pipers, uh, but they don't play. <laughs> they don't play it on Ellen pipes. They play it on whistle. Um, so we've got again. Mick comes in with the drones to kind of make that background uh, accompaniment for whistle. And then when they go into quadril, uh, at, at a towards the end, you'll hear. I think Mick comes in and, and plays regulators, but there's still no no chanter on it. But just just a lovely another cracking tune and good uplifting stuff too. That tune is so good, um, and just such a good, <laughs> like, restorative power. This episode has been a little exhausting to, to make, um, not just the week of research, but then, like, the last couple days trying to record this and get it close to right. I'm still, 
this is hard material to talk about and feel like I'm doing justice, and it is all the better thanks to Nick, Emer, and Aoife to kind of clean us up uh, at the end here and and cheer me up again. So uh, we're going to go out with one last track from their album, um, Humor is a Glen. Really, you've got you've to go check out this album. More tunes from the Goodman manuscripts. It is excellent and filled with just... Yeah, <laughs> just exceptional music played by some really talented musicians. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to the Chippewa Valley Museum for giving me some kind of starting footholds to kind of do this discussion and, and do this podcast. And, yeah, we'll be back next week with a another kind of unconventional episode. going to be another discussion episode. I'm going to play some tunes as well, but we're going to be talking with Isaac Walters about uh, kind of Scottish material culture for bagpipers and tartan and that sort of thing. So quite a different pace, kind of back into the 18th century where I feel comfortable and not uh, having to do a crash course on 1840s ireland so anyway cheers we're gonna go out with humors of glenn uh from mick emer and Eva. once again thanks everyone for listening